The reading this morning is from Colossians 1, uh, reading from verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Let's just pray. Father God, we come before you and we ask that in your grace, in your kindness, and in your mercy, you would speak to each one of us through this incredible prayer of Paul's from Colossians this morning. Your Holy Spirit would just stir our hearts. Remind us of your love for us. Challenge us to know how to live for you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say thank you to Norman for sharing Uh, just then. I think, you know, that takes guts to share with such reality and vulnerability um, that the tough times as well as the good times up here, we can stand here sometimes and go, yeah, it's all amazing. You know, God is doing amazing things in our lives. But we all know that actually sometimes, as he said, the rubber hits the road and it feels really tough. And we can be praying about something and like banging on God's door. And it can feel like, you know, he's not answering or even that he's turned his back on us. And, and, and that sort of sense that Norm knows that, that Jesus there and has got him um, was really powerful. So I don't know whether he's taking his children out or not, but thank you, Norman. And, and I was just sat there thinking, you know, that is something that maybe relates to all of us. Um, you know, you might even just be, have been looking at the news over the last couple of weeks and just thought, I don't even know how to pray about this situation. Or maybe um, you you are faced with a situation in your family or amongst your friends or in your workplace and you go, this is just desperate. What do I do? How do I pray? Or maybe you long for somebody to come to know Jesus or you look out in our city in Edinburgh and you think, you know, people are so broken. What can we do about it? And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, I stand there and sit, or sit there and think, I don't even know how to pray. And so I don't, because I feel like I don't have the words for it. About 22 years ago, um, I faced a situation that seemed so desperate, so dire, so irredeemable. I'll tell you what it was in a minute. I just didn't know 
how to pray for it. And so to be honest, I gave up praying for that situation because I just didn't know what to pray. And it was all around uh, my sister. I have an adopted sister uh, called Kerry. Uh, She had deep problems. She came to live with us when she was 15 months old, and she arrived having had a horrendous uh, first 15 months of her life. Uh, And by the age of 15, uh, she had gone completely off the rails, like to an extreme. Uh, So uh, she was a prostitute. Uh, She was deeply involved in drug culture. She was a crack addict. She lived not with us anymore, but just in crack houses. Um, She had obviously got into crime as well, because that was all wrapped up in that as well. I won't tell you any more of the messy details. There are a lot. Um, But by the time I was 25, uh, it had been four years since I'd seen her. And I knew that God could rescue her, but I was beyond praying for her. I just didn't know how to pray for her anymore. And around that time, I was actually at theological college, I heard a a guy speaking and he was sharing uh, something about his story. And he spoke of how he had become estranged from his son. The dad had become a Christian. Uh, There'd been a big fallout. The son had gone off to New Zealand to live. And he hadn't heard uh, from his son for, for many years. And he spoke about how he decided he was just going to pray for his son every day. And all he was going to do was name his son before God every day. And he did that for 20 years, day in and day out, just naming his son before God for 20 years. And when he was speaking to us, he was telling us a story because he just received an email from his son. And the email from his son told him that he had become a Christian and, uh, and would it be okay if he came over to visit his dad? So obviously the dad was delighted uh, that his prayer had been answered. But sitting there, age 25, I felt really inspired uh, by this guy's testimony. And I thought, that's something I can do. I can do that. You know, I might not know what exactly to pray for my sister in that dire situation that she got herself into. uh, But I can pray for her by naming her before God. Uh, And so in 1999, I decided I was going to begin to name my sister before God every day. Uh, Now, because I'm actually rubbish at remembering to pray for things uh, and for people, I decided the best way to do that, to remember to pray for her every day, was to make my email password uh, a sort of something that would remind me of my sister. That was 22 years ago. You can start to work out my age. Uh, And since then, multiple times, it's it's increased as the years have gone on uh, because of technology. Multiple times a day, I've used that password and I've kept naming her before God. Sometimes we can be so bound by our circumstances, by circumstances and situations that can feel so out of control that we might feel helpless or overwhelmed. And even though we have a desire to pray for something, we have a knowledge that God can change lives. We, We feel desperate for people to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We don't know what to pray, but I believe that God still calls us to get on our knees. 
not necessarily literally, but to get on our knees and to keep walking that prayer path, to keep sort of wearing out the ground of our path of prayer. And sometimes we do that by just simply naming people before our almighty God. When Paul, who wrote the book of Colossians, uh, writes this letter to the Christians in Colossae, he's in prison. He is literally bound by his circumstances. He's heard from his friend Epaphras. We heard about that last week when Paul was preaching. He heard, he's heard from his friend Epaphras that this new church, this new group of Christians in Colossae are doing really well. And, you know, he longs to be with them. That's the longing of his heart. He longs to lead them and encourage them. But the chains that he's bound in means he cannot do that. But rather than just sitting there and feeling completely overwhelmed by the circumstances that he's in, he decides to pray for them. And here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, do get it open. Uh, There's bits of it going to come up on the screen, but if you'd like to, to just have it open in front of you, Colossians 1, 9 to 14, we get to listen into Paul's prayer. And it's a massive prayer. It's huge. Paul, you see, has huge expectations of what God can do and will do. And so he prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he prays prayers that are bold and ambitious. You see, the walls of Paul's prison are not going to stop him praying. And the walls of that prison are not going to stop the power of God either. And so for the past 22 years, even though I knew that my sister existed in the grimiest pit that you could imagine, despite the fact that I've had no contact with her at all, uh, I decided I wouldn't stop praying and I haven't stopped praying for her. And it's not because I'm bullying at praying. I want you to hear that. It's just that that's what I felt God was calling me to do. And actually, I could just constantly lift her before the presence of God. I wonder, is there a situation, is there a person that feels perhaps out of your control, maybe similar to the one that Norman was sharing earlier, which perhaps you feel overwhelmed by, that you can commit now to just name before God, to just pray for. Let's just pause before we carry on. Just close your eyes. Maybe God is putting something or somebody on your heart now and you want to just name them before him. Lord, in your mercy, just hear the cries of our hearts. Amen. So Paul begins this ambitious, this bold prayer, and he prays for two things. You'll see it on the screen there. He prays for inner knowledge, and he prays for outer obedience, inner knowledge of God, which will lead to outer obedience. We're just going to push into those two things. So firstly, inner knowledge. Paul prays here in verse 9. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Paul asked God to give these uh, Colossian Christians, and this applies to us too, knowledge of his will, knowledge, not intellectual knowledge. Uh, he isn't praying that we would be, you know, past mastermind or something, or we get a PhD in biblical theology, but he's praying that we would have a deep knowledge of God's will. And when we know the will of God, we're able to walk in the ways of God. And when we know the will of God, we're able to walk in the ways of God. Because then inner knowledge becomes outer obedience. And the word knowledge that Paul uses here is epignosis. And it is, as the theologian Bultmann says, almost a technical term for the decisive knowledge of God. It means a deeper, clearer knowledge of God. So when Paul prays that they would have the knowledge of God's will, he's basically praying that they and we would fully understand what God has already done for them and for us in Jesus. That we would like fully grasp, fully realize, know deeply what we already know that Paul reminds us, and, and this is what we, we already know, he reminds uh, the, the church in Colossae of this in verses 13 and 14 of Colossians chapter 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is basically praying that we would just get our heads around this, and that it would transfer to our hearts, that we would really know and understand this truth of what Jesus has done for us, that we're saved by the grace of God in Jesus. And then we'll be able to discern what God's will is for our lives. We need to get this in our heads first, and then it'll go to our hearts. When we know the will of God, we're able to walk in the ways of God. There's this lovely little hidden line that I came across this week in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, uh, which hints at what the knowledge of God's will looks like. So the writer of Chronicles is basically describing in this section, in chapter 12, how King David is gathering uh, all these Israelite tribes to him in Hebron, and, and they're going to go into battle. And he sort of names all the people as they're gathering in this place. And he says things like, oh, you know, the men of Benjamin who have remained loyal to Saul, or you can see there, um, half the tribe of Manasseh designated by name to come, uh, or Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, they're brave warriors. But look at what he says about the people of Issachar. The men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. This tribe, these people had the knowledge of God's will. They had, in the words of Paul, spiritual wisdom and understanding. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They were people who are walking closely with God. And so Paul's prayer is that we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that we would have this inner knowledge that is the foundation of our lives as Christians. And how do we get the knowledge of God's will? Well, it's not rocket science, you'll be pleased to know. Um, we just get to know God more deeply by reading his word 
by reading his word. I find it really difficult to read this one anymore because I'm getting too old and it's too small, so I have to watch, read it on my uh, iPad. We need to open our Bibles and we need to spend time uh, with God in prayer. I once heard somebody say this. I thought it was really helpful. You cannot grow spiritually without the Spirit of God showing you the Son of God found in the Word of God. You can't grow spiritually without the Spirit of God showing you the Son of God found in the Word of God. You know, if you're reading or listening to the Bible, even just a few verses regularly, then you will be, as it says in verse 9, growing in the knowledge of God, God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's like God will be drip-feeding your soul. And so as we do this, something begins to change within us. You know, rather than seeing the world through the lens of whatever our social media feed is feeding into our souls, whatever is the, the predominant worldview of popular culture, rather than seeing the world through the lens of materialism and shopping and buying stuff, or the lens of our middle-class pursuit of leisure, or the lens of a particular political or social worldview, we begin to see the world through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of Jesus. It's like that moment, you know, where you go to the optician and you get some new glasses, and you put them on, and suddenly, like the world, you can see everything with such a new clarity, can't you? When the knowledge of God, informed by Scripture, becomes our worldview, the lens by which we see the world becomes different. And that affects our life. You know, maybe it affects our speech or the way that we think. Maybe things become a little bit more pure. Maybe when we watch the news, we have a renewed compassion for people. You know, you find that you love people that you don't really know, but you want them to come to know Jesus. Maybe you just like long for peace. Something stirs in you. Our work, our parenting, our playing sports, our relationships, what we do in our leisure time, everything becomes influenced by our Christian worldview, informed by God's word, the Bible, and through the way that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and revealing us more of his, God's love for us as we pray. And so Paul prays this big prayer that we would have a deep inner knowledge of God. And then he goes on to pray uh, that this deep knowledge uh, and love of God and what he's done for us in Jesus would just start to like spill out uh, from the inside out uh, and that it would be seen and would take effect. He says this in verse 10. And we pray that in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Amazing verse. It's just packed full of richness. I'm just going to break it down a little bit. Firstly, he says, live a life worthy of the Lord. First thing, it's worth remembering right now that this doesn't mean that you or I can do, do anything in this life to make us worthy to be in the presence of God. There is nothing that we can do on our own to make us worthy of God. No one here gets to heaven because of anything that we can do. 
The Bible makes it clear that it's only through faith, not deeds, that we are saved. In another of Paul's letters, uh, Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, Paul writes this, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not because of anything we can do. It's the gift of God, not by work, so that none of us can boast. So all, all that means that, you know, however good a person you are, however kind you are, however many hours you spend serving the poor or, or uh, raising money for victims of natural disasters, the only one who can make us worthy to stand in the presence of God is Jesus Christ. It's only because of Jesus, God in human flesh, only because Jesus lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and then rose again three days later, conquering the power of sin and death and hell, can Jesus make us worthy to be in the presence of God. So we're able to live a life worthy of the gospel because of Jesus. Live a life worthy. And then secondly, um, what does this living a life worthy of the Lord actually looks like? According to Paul here in verse 10, it looks like a life which is lived to please God. Now, I love the TV uh, program, Downton Abbey. I've just seen actually yesterday that they're going to do another film. I love the film as well. Um, And I loved Mr. Carson, the butler. Uh, He was one of my favorite characters. Uh, He was just the perfect uh, butler. I think we've got a picture of him actually, Alistair, on the screen just to remind you great Downton Abbey followers. Uh, It might come up, it might not. But anyway, he was just an amazing, uh, an amazing butler. Uh, because of a few things. He was loyal to the family. He, he looked the part, didn't he? Really smart. And he basically lived his whole life to please that family, pleasing the family whom he served. So if we're to live lives worthy of the Lord, we are to please him. And how do we do that? How do we please God? We please him by putting him first in our lives. So many of us here are driven by a deep need to please someone else. Whether it's a parent, whether it's the expectations that are put upon us by somebody else, whether it's our friends or whether it's our boss or our spouse or a coach, a teacher, or even just pleasing ourselves. You know, so often I find myself doing something or saying something, and I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room that does this, and at the back of my my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I wonder what so-and-so will think about that. I wonder if they will notice or be pleased or be impressed with that thing I've said or done. And how often do I actually think of pleasing God How often do I make decisions or life choices considering whether I'm pleasing God or even wanting to please God? But to live a life worthy of the Lord, I should desire to please God above everything else. 
Uh, the organization, Christians in Sport, I know lots of you know of it, encourage Christians uh, who play sport to play for an audience of one. And whether we're sporty or not, not we, can, we can take on that mantra as well and remind ourselves that we are lived, we are called to live lives for an audience of one, pleasing God. And then Paul goes on, adding to his prayer, we're to live lives worthy, we're to please God, and we're to bear fruit. Verse 10, live a life worthy of the Lord, that you might please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, I don't know masses about fruit and veg, you know, um, I've once, I once was quite successful uh, growing courgettes, so I'll let you know. Uh, but what I do know is this, that to bear its fruit, a plant needs to be growing. I'm brilliant. Uh, to bear fruit, a plant needs to be growing. You know, it can't be dead and it can't just be stagnant. It has to be growing to produce fruit first thing I know. And the other thing that I know about plants bearing fruit uh, is that fruit trees have the potential uh, to produce fruit year after year after year. And sometimes the trees that produce the best and the most fruit are the oldest trees. A great reminder that however old we are, God has not finished with us yet. If you're growing as a Christian, if you're pleasing God in every way, you'll bear fruit year after year after year. If you're stagnant, you won't. If you're, if you're growing, the Holy Spirit will work through you and in you to draw uh, others, to, others to him. And isn't that what we want? So let's be people who pray with great expectation this week that God will use us wherever we are to bear fruit for him. And then lastly, Paul says this, verse 11, that you will be strengthened with all power, This is an incredible prayer. He prays that they will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that they might have great endurance and patience. Strengthened with all power, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where the rubber hits the road. Paul is praying that they would experience God fully, not just to have the knowledge of him in their heads, but would experience him with their whole lives that they would be filled with the glorious power of God, that we would be filled with the glorious power of God. Why? So that we're able to endure, so that we might have great endurance and patience, that we might keep running the race that God has put before us, that we might keep going as Christians, even through times of opposition, even through disappointments, even through persecution, through joys and through sorrows that we will keep holding on to the truth of Jesus, that we will keep being transformed by his Holy Spirit every day. So Paul is sat in the most horrendous conditions in prison, praying this extraordinary prayer for the Christians in Colossae, that they would have a deep inner knowledge of the will of God and that that would result in outer obedience. There's so much in this passage to encourage and inspire us to keep going, to keep living for him, to keep praying. So what about my sister? Well, it's been 22 years. 
And every so often over those years, we've had, I've had reminders that God still had this. There was an incredible moment actually when I'd been in my sort of like banging on God's door thing for about a year and a half. And I was uh, doing a placement when I was trying to be a vicar um, and ended up, it's a long story, but I ended up um, spending a day with this girl called Fiona who was an ex-prostitute. And um, miraculously she actually had known my sister and as soon as she found out I was a Christian she said this to me she said we always knew that somebody or something bigger than us was watching over Kerry because she should have died so many times and that was just a reminder God's got this Actually, that girl, Fiona, about six months after that conversation, ended up becoming a Christian. It's an amazing, another story. And then we get to last year, and no one in our family had heard uh, from Kerry for at least 15 years. Uh, we had no idea where she was. We had no idea if she was even alive. But when my mum died, she left some money uh, in her will for her. And so we started to look for her again. And we followed numerous leads over some months, and we eventually found her. Uh, Not surprisingly, uh, due to the choices that she had made in her life, her life had been incredibly chaotic, incredibly traumatic, a complete mess uh, for the past 30 years. She'd had seven children. They'd all been taken off her at various points and adopted. But incredibly, she was still alive. And as we discovered uh, some more about her situation, we actually found that she was living in supported accommodation that had been set up by two social workers, a mum and a daughter. Uh, My dad went to meet them, and and they were both committed Christians and loved Kerry as though she was their family. There's no happy ending to this story. Uh, Kerry is terminally ill. But I have had the chance to tell her that I've never forgotten, of her, forgotten her. My mum never forgot her. I've told her that Jesus loves her. And as I put my password into my computer numerous times a day, I continue to pray. And I pray these words with the Apostle Paul. I pray big prayers that before she dies, she will come to the knowledge that she's been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. Over to Paul.